From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. Late last year, Congress passed and the president signed into law a new bill called the SECURE Act. It made some big changes to how companies operate the retirement plans they offer their employees. Some of the law's provisions went into effect just weeks after the president signed it. And if a company violates this law, even unintentionally, its retirement plans may lose their tax-preferred status. Many companies are understandably nervous about this, and they're turning to people like Vina Murthy, a principal at accounting firm Crow LLP. Before joining Crow, Murthy was one of those who helped shape the SECURE Act when she served as counsel to Congress's nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. Bloomberg Law reporter Warren Rojas spoke to Murthy about some of the changes in the SECURE Act. One specific change she mentioned allows employees to withdraw money from their retirement accounts after the birth of a child. Murthy explains why this is keeping some benefits managers awake at night. If a, an employee has two children, they can take out 5000 for each child. Mm-hmm. And if they have a spouse in the same plan or another plan or an IRA, that spouse can also take out 5000 each. So that's 20000 total. Mm-hmm. So this can really add up. But once an employer allows that type of distribution, they mandatorily must allow that employee to re-contribute those amounts until the end of time. Hmm. So I can repay that money back without... uh, Until I'm 80. hmm. But there is a a saving grace for employer plans, again, based on advice from, you know, in terms of it, like trying to make it somewhat more administrable, which is that employer plans don't need to accept amounts from an employee if that employee is no longer eligible to make contrib- contributions otherwise. So, for example, if employer just employee just isn't there anymore, mm-hmm. an, employer plan, an employer doesn't have to take that amount back, and only up to the amount that was taken out from that employer plan. Whereas with IRAs, IRAs, they have to take distributions from anybody at any time. And like you said, the horizon is now forever, so that's a lot of record-keeping, that's a lot of tracking. And a lot of potential errors. Right, mm-hmm. plan errors and potential plan disqualification. And <clears throat> one point about that is that this provision is modeled after the retirement disaster relief, mm-hmm. where if you're in a federally declared disaster area, there's been relief where you can take out amounts um, because you've been affected by a disaster and then recontribute them, mm-hmm. but only up to three years. And I think that my impression is that that's been difficult also to administer from the IRS perspective. But at the same time, people affected by disasters are more far and few between than having children or adopting. I'm guessing that happens more often. Yeah. (laughs) And also, I would hope that nobody, it's very rare that somebody experiences more than one disaster in their lifetime, whereas it's quite possible to experience more, more than one birth or adoption, you know, So it really, it really opens up a, a can of worms for administrators. And this is something that uh, the, the Treasury officials who were down at the uh, ABA conference in uh, Florida earlier this year, this is something that they said have already, comment letters have started coming in. People want to know about this adoption. Like you said, whether, can I do it? If I do it, what happens now? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if people are going to do it, frankly. Hmm. You, you know, it? because it's just the, the the end of time to recontribute 
aspect of it, it just really creates all kinds of concerns from, an, you know, especially if you're an employer plan and you worry about disqualification issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and so one of the things I, I know people have are hoping that tre- Treasury will explain to them is the uh, pooled employer plans. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how, how does that mm-hmm. how is that supposed to roll out? So that bill does two things because people seem to just be focusing on the fact and I hear people say, oh, it gives one bad apple relief, which is this rule that basically taints all the entire plan or all employers in a multiple employer plan if one of the employers has a plan disqualification um, issue. Right. And these pool <clears> and, plans are everyone, a bunch of unrelated businesses. Mm-hmm. They come together and they say, all right, we're going to do a retirement plan, everyone pay in, and that way we can all work together mm-hmm. to do this. And that one bad apple, you say, it, it was makes, a concern. Sure, because yeah. then people are, what happens if that if that guy doesn't pay or that guy causes problems? Where am right. I? Right. And so that was has been a historical concern. So it does provide relief from that. Okay. And what it says is if there's an issue, then IRS has the ability to cause that employer to transfer all of the assets related and accounts related to its employees to another plan or another IRA plan or some other, you know, kind of um, vehicle if it decides that's the best, you know, approach to dealing with that particular employer's failures. And the liabilities only attach to that employer, so they don't attach to so any other isolated it. of the plan. Congress isolated it. Everyone else right. will be fine. Right. But the other thing, so some people say, oh, that's what the bill did, but it did another entire huge thing, which was what you just talked about, which is it creates this non-commonality pooled employer plan. Um, And what that means is that traditionally there needed to be commonality among employers to join a multiple employer plan. Mm -hmm. And now we have the so-called open MEP, Mm -hmm. which means that you don't have to have commonality other than the fact that you're getting together to be in this multiple employer plan. Right. So So before the commonality might have been we're all in construction or we're all hotel workers or we're all, you know, truckers. Mm -hmm. Now it's just, no, we all just want retirement plans. Can somebody help us figure that out? Right. And so basically, but, you know, in order to do that, it imposes all these requirements. And it also says you have to have a um, a so-called pooled plan provider with and the pooled plan provider has to do all these things, which is what I'm getting at with like plans that have already been established. Can they do all these things mm-hmm. already? Because one of the things they have to do is they have to register with the uh, um, Treasury and with the DOL. And just so the you, Department of Labor, yeah. And and what we didn't mention is that this provision amends both ERISA and the code. So the tax, so taxes and labor laws are, mm-hmm. are intertwined here, and everyone has got to comply with everything. Right, and those um, pooled plan providers, they basically have to, you know, be indicated as the fiduciary, the plan administrator, and responsible for administration, such as testing and all that. And they, and as I mentioned, they have to register. But the other thing that I would note is that if you have a pooled plan provider and they're in a controlled group, the entire controlled group is considered a pooled plan provider. So you can't avoid, you know, liability hmm. if you mess up because you're a fiduciary, for example. So what? Who are the control groups now that are affected by this now? Or 
Well, you know, one, I guess the, the really probably potentially significant thing here is you can have obviously a completely unrelated pooled plan provider to any of the employers in the plan, and it can include financial institutions. So there had been um, executive orders, but they weren't able, because of legislative, you know, regulatory authority only goes so far if you've got a statute that says, or, you know, whether it's a risk or a code that says you can only do so much. Mm-hmm. So now we have a statute that says you can do so much. And so financial institutions, for example, can be pooled plan providers. Banks. And they certainly have controlled groups. Though. Sure. Banks, insurance companies, people who sell you the products and the retirement plans that uh, would be in play here. So still a concern. This uh, this is something the pooled plans, the multiple employer plans. This is something that lawmakers uh, and the administration have been very adamant about. They say this is a good way to broaden the the retirement savings for everyone and get more people involved. So this is happening. Now it's just a function of how do you make it happen in a responsible way. Exactly. I mean, and for me, that's been a concern. You know, um, people were employees, I should say, were giving money for health insurance, and then there was a lot of fraud. And so here, this is your retirement savings, you know, and so how are these employees being protected? Mm-hmm. Tried to put some stuff in there to help them, you know, beyond like, for example, saying their employer still is the plan sponsor mm-hmm. and what that means, you know, beyond like the fact that you've got this completely third party as the pooled plan provider acting as the fiduciary. You can't as an employer, you shouldn't be able to just say, I wash my hands of this. That's all for this week's episode. You can find more about the SECURE Act at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Thanks for listening. Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.